0: Will you bow with me in prayer before we look to God's word together? Heavenly Father, our prayer with the psalmist this morning is that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. And we pray that you would allow us in freeing our hearts to respond to your great promises there by faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 40, page 468 in the Black Bibles. Psalm 40, page 468. Mr. Al mentioned that this psalm is a beloved one for many. And my prayer this morning is that our familiarity with it will only enhance our joy. In studying it afresh this morning. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Psalm 40. This is a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog. And set my feet upon a rock. Making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. In sacrifice, and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation, Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Let those be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you and rejoice, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. What a statement from David in that last verse. Did you notice it? Here is King David, the rich and mighty, confessing, as we've just seen, that he is poor and needy. We've heard a lot in the past two weeks in the various political conventions about the upper class, the middle class, And the working class. My guess is that each one of us would place ourselves in one of those categories in relation to one another, but we rarely, if ever, refer to ourselves as poor and needy. And yet, that is what we all are in our relationship with God, regardless of our social or economic status in America. We are all constantly in need of God's deliverance. But King David brings us good news this morning. His message to us from Psalm 40 is this. God never grows weary of delivering us. Isn't that great news? God never grows weary of delivering us. And in this psalm, David teaches us how to relate to God as our help and our deliverer. This morning, I would like to divide Psalm 40 into three parts and provide us with three short phrases that we can say to God while navigating the trials of this life. The first phrase can be derived from verses 1 and 2, and it is simply this. Help me. Help me. Uh, We read in verse two, if you'll look, continue, please, to look with me in your Bibles, that David was in the pit of destruction, which he describes in the next line as a miry or muddy bog. We don't know if he was in South Louisiana or not. Some scholars have taken this description quite literally and concluded that David was actually trapped in a muddy cistern like Jeremiah was, right? And from which there was no escape. It seems better to me, though, to take this description figuratively because David uses the word pit in other psalms to describe a whole variety of hopeless situations, whether sickness, depression, guilt, or danger, Regardless, we all know what it's like to be in a pit. We even describe ourselves sometimes as being down in the dumps or down in the pit. We know what it's like to feel trapped and hopeless and helpless. But David brings us again good news. He assures us that God delivers us when we acknowledge our need of him. God delivers us. When we acknowledge our need of him. And we learn from these two verses. That God delivers us in two ways. First. He hears us. When we cry out to him. David writes at the end of verse one. He inclined to me. And heard my cry. I realize we have profound differences with the Roman Catholic Church. But one of the sweetest videos I have ever seen is of Pope Francis' recent tour of a Mexican hospital. The surrounding crowd of dignitaries and media personalities and hospital staff came to a sudden stop when a young girl with bone cancer caught the Pope's attention and began to sing. Her song lasted (laughs) nearly two minutes. But Pope Francis never gave the slightest indication of being rushed or inconvenienced. His eyes never left hers. He listened intently to every word. And when she had finished, he cupped her face in his hands, kissed her and blessed her. What a picture of God's compassion us. He is the sovereign God, the king of creation. He is of supreme value and importance, but he is never too busy to bend down to us and give us his full attention. He hears us when we cry out to him, and not only that, but second, he helps us when we wait for him. David begins the psalm with the words, I waited patiently for the Lord. The Hebrew literally reads, I waited, waited for my wife to get ready for our day. No, (laughs) I waited, waited for the Lord. David felt like he was waiting in eternity. For God's deliverance, and sometimes we can feel like that, too. I think of Jeff Campbell who's been battling lymphoma for a year and a half and still has 12 radiation treatments to go. I think of others within this very congregation who struggle with depression and wonder how long their sorrow and loneliness will last. And I think of still others who have been praying daily for God to bring salvation to a spouse or to a child Only to be saddened again and again. Certainly waiting can be one of the most difficult parts of life. Author Jamie Smith has said that we live our lives bent forward. Always waiting for what's next. But do you know church that waiting patiently for the Lord can actually strengthen our faith. Abraham, perfect example. Listen to this. He was 75 years old when God promised him a son. He was 100 years old when that promise was fulfilled. That's that's 25 years of waiting. But what does Paul tell us about Abraham in Romans 4? Listen to this. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We see the same example in David. He waited patiently for the Lord and the Lord helped him in a mighty way. David says he drew me up from the pit of destruction Out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. Making my steps secure. God sovereignly saves. He did not inform David on how to get out of the pit. He reached down and drew him up and set his feet upon a rock and set him free. Why does God help us like this? Why does he deliver us? From our troubles in such a mighty, remarkable way. Well, that question brings us to our second phrase. The second phrase we must learn to say to God is thank you. David tells us in verses 3 through 10. That God delivers us so that we will worship him. Now, the word worship. Is a loaded term, isn't it? (laughs) But what it means in essence, especially in the Psalter, is to give public thanks. Certainly we can do this in a number of ways. But in these verses, David gives us four ways God wants us to worship him. First, he wants us to praise him. David writes in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When God delivers us, he gives us a new reason to sing to him. And God intends our praise to be contagious like a wildfire so that everyone who sees our joy will be made joyful as well. By the way, have you noticed how Pastor Andrew directs us to sing? He encourages us to sing, not just to God, but to one another. Have you noticed that? Isn't that an interesting concept? It is a biblical concept. Musical worship is a, is a group activity. Um, God wants us to sing on Sunday mornings with our eyes open so that We can be aware of his deliverance in the lives of our brothers and sisters around us here in this church. But worship is not just about music. It is also about the priorities and desires of our hearts. And that leads us to the second way God wants us to worship him. Not only does God want us to praise him, he also wants us to trust in him. Look with me at verse 4. Blessed. And we saw that word last week, didn't we? It means happy, rewarded by God, favored by God. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. God blesses those who trust in him. Now, David is, is speaking from experience here, isn't he? He trusted in God. He waited patiently, and God delivered him. And now David is urging us to do the same thing, to avoid the temptation to rely on ourselves and to trust fully in the one, David says in verse 5, whose wondrous deeds and thoughts toward us are without compare. Third, God wants us to obey him. God wants us to obey him. What a thought provoking line verse six is. I wonder if that caught any of you off guard as it did me this week in sacrifice and offering. You have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering. You have not required. David is contrasting true worship from false worship. God is not opposed to rituals. And that is really good news for South Louisianans. <laughs> we are a ritualized people. The gumbo must be cooked with our grandmother's roux. The game must be watched on the on a Saturday night in the Lazy Boy. Uh, ben Nickens, where's Ben? I'm going to call you out, brother. Ben Nickens must defy the laws of PDA and kiss his wife after the prayer at dinner. Or else he will, I don't know, self-destruct or something. The point is, rituals are good. They make gumbo good. They make worship good. What we must resist, however, is empty ritual. That is, when we go through the motions of worship without actually worshiping ourselves. God does not delight in that. So (laughs) Matt Redman was right on point when he wrote the song, The Heart of Worship. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. Doesn't that sound like verse six? You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. God wants every element of our worship, but more than anything, he wants us to live in obedience to him. David says, you have given me an open ear. God has enabled us to listen to his words and to obey him. He does not need us to make sacrifices. He wants us to be sacrifices. He wants us to, verse 8, delight to do his will. And is that not what our Lord Jesus did? He always did what was pleasing to his father. He even endured the cross, Hebrews says, for the joy, for the delight Set before him. And he did that for us. So that we might not only imitate him, but also be empowered by his resurrection to delight in our father's will as well. Fourth and final under this point. God wants us to proclaim him. David speaks in verses nine and ten about how he has shared the glad news of deliverance of God's steadfast love and faithfulness with his fellow worshipers. Friends, we are all called to preach. Sometimes I get tired of hearing myself talk. I know you do. And we all have a unique message to share. Is God calling you to share your testimony with us on a Sunday morning? It's not hard. Just use a wussy manuscript like I use. It's not hard. Just read it. But if you believe God is calling you to do that, come and talk with one of our elders. And we will certainly, without question, work with you to make that happen. We must learn to say thank you to God in a public way. It's simply a part of how God wants us to worship him. So far, we've learned two simple but vital phrases that we can say to our deliverer while navigating the trials of life. The first phrase was, Help me, and the second was, Thank you. But there is a third phrase we must learn to say, and that is, Me again. Have you ever called someone and restarted a finished conversation with those words? I have a friend, Dr. Rodney Wood, who lives here in Baton Rouge and who has served as my mentor for the past three years. I'm very grateful for him. He's a wise and seasoned pastor in his mid-60s. He ministers now to the Louisiana State Legislature, but he has counseled me as a Christian and as a pastor countless times. I do not believe (laughs) to this day we have ever had a short conversation. Um, Most of our discussions last well over an hour. But at the end of every phone conversation, no matter how long we have talked, he will always pray for me and then say, Now, Drew, listen, if we hang up this phone and you think of something else that you need to talk about, just call me. Don't worry about bothering me. Call me anytime. And I've taken him up on that offer perhaps more than he expected. But he always picks up and he is never inconvenienced. Hey, Dr. Rodney, me again. Hey, Drew, how can I help you, brother? Do we not all need a friend like that? In verses 11 through 17, David is in trouble once again. Different situation. And he cries out to God for help. He's not even done saying thank you yet. And he cries out to God again for help, but he does so with confidence and he teaches us that God delivers us fully expecting us to cry out to him again. God delivers us fully expecting us to cry out to him again. And when we call on him, we can be confident that he will act for us and at least Three ways. First, he will show us mercy. He will show us mercy. In verses 11 and 12, David admits to God that he is once again overwhelmed with troubles. But this time, his troubles are not random. They can't be blamed on anyone else because they're the result of his own sin. We see that in verse 12, where he says, My iniquities, my sins, Have overtaken me. You ever been in a situation like that? Where you've just done something foolish. It's all your fault. And now you're living out the consequences of it. Yet even now, David is confident that God will not give him what he deserves. He says in verse 11, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love. And your faithfulness will ever or always preserve me. It is God's nature. To be merciful. When we come to him for help. He will never turn us away. He will never guilt us. He will never shame us. He will never use that dreadful phrase that all of us should eliminate from our vocabularies. I told you so. He never says that. No, the author of Hebrews says that if we are in Christ, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us (laughs) in our time of need. So are you in Christ, but in trouble? God says, don't worry about bothering Call me anytime. time. Not only will God show us mercy, but second, he will also fight for us. In verses 13 through 15, David cries out for God's deliverance. He uses some striking language, doesn't he? Verse 14, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor. Let those be appalled because of their shame. These are strong statements. Some scholars believe that David is wrong to use them because he's being vindictive. He's wanting to get even. Now, certainly we need to be careful with the words we use, even in prayer, to describe our enemies. But I I do not believe that David is being vindictive here. In fact, I believe he is rejecting getting even by asking God to fight for him. There's nothing wrong with that. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 23, that this is exactly what our Lord Jesus did. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges Justly. Now, if God fought for David and for our Lord Jesus, will he not also fight for you? Who have been adopted through Christ into his family? You are his son. You are his daughter. Will he not fight for you? We can be confident that God will go into battle on our behalf. All we need to do is ask in faith. Finally, when we ask for God's help, he will restore our joy. David writes, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. David wants everyone to experience the joy of God's deliverance. Because he had experienced it before, he could now face his current trial. With confidence. But friends we can have an even greater confidence. Than David because we face every trial. As those who have already been delivered through Christ. Who went into the ultimate pit of death. On our behalf. For our sins. And was raised from it again. To give us victory. Now we can face our trials with joy and with what Paul says in Philippians is the peace that surpasses or transcends all understanding. We can ask God for help with patience. We can express our thanks to God with exuberance. And we can always approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because God is our help. He's on our side. He never grows weary of delivering us, and if we will only confess to him. That we are poor and needy. He will not delay. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks. That you have seen fit in your mercy to reach down into the pit we had made for ourselves. And bring us up back to new life. You have truly made us alive together with Christ. And you've done this even while we were enemies. How much more now that you have made us your very own friends and sons and daughters. Will you deliver us from every trial we face in this life. And especially from the trial of judgment. You have saved us. And you will be faithful to us. You will not restrain your mercy from us. And I pray that each of us, each and every one of us in this room, would look to you as their help and their deliverer. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and sing.